Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make <clears throat> do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any, in all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by parenting with me in my partnering with me in my hardship and your and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone for even in Thessalonica you sent gifts for my need several times not that I seek the gift but I seek the profit that is increasing in your account but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Philippians chapter 4. While you're turning there, I want to read a verse from the Psalms that uh, I think the Lord has pressed on my heart the last couple days. Psalm 16 verse 11 says this, You, O Lord, reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Let's continue in this posture of worship uh, through prayer. Father, oftentimes in life, um, it's hard to imagine that in your presence is eternal joy. And we more easily believe lies that... um, in what we can grab and take hold of, there's e- there is eternal joy. But Father, I ask right now that you would reveal truth to us. That if we if we if we believe, you would help our unbelief. So that we can we can with the psalmist say, Lord, at your right hand and in your presence is eternal joy. I want nothing more than to be in your presence. To dwell on your beauty, to look at your glory. Father, I know for myself and people in this room, that sometimes feels like an impossible prayer, but Lord, you answer prayers and you make dead people alive. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that wherever we are as one body, you would make us alive in you. 
you would remind us that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in you. You would remind us that in you alone we find true contentment. We we find abundant joy. Father, I ask that you would incline our hearts to your desires, not to selfish gain. I ask that you would open our eyes so that we can see and behold wondrous things from your law. I ask, Lord, that you would unite our spirit to fear you, to fear your name. And Father, I ask that you would satisfy us with just a deep satisfaction, a deep joy, a deep happiness in you. As we turn to Philippians, Lord, we ask that you would unstop our ears, that you would soften our hard hearts, and you would allow us to listen to your still small voice. We pray all these things only in your name and by the power of the Spirit that's in us. Amen. We're in a series in Philippians titled The Way Up is Down, and next week is our last week, which is crazy. Um, And then the week after that, we'll start Advent, uh, and we'll have four weeks of Advent. I need to find Philippians here in my Bible. There it is. We'll start four weeks of Advent, and then the turn of the new year, we'll start a long series to the gospel according to Matthew, which I am very excited about. But I really enjoyed this series. We're not done yet. We have one more week after this. But this morning, I just want to jump right in the deep end. Um, Don't have much of an introduction. I'm just going to dive right in. So here we go. Uh, The air that we breathe in our culture, in our world, is discontentment. Discontentment. Discontentment is so normalized in life in our society, in our culture, that it is now just a regular part of life. It's not a surprise when people start complaining anymore. It's, not, it's no longer like shocking. It's just discontentment is just the air that we breathe. And if you had to summarize people's issues and problems down to a few things, guaranteed one of them would be discontentment. People aren't content with their salary. They want more money. People aren't content with their job. They want a different job. People aren't content with their uh, family. They wish they had different family. With their friends, with their house, with their stuff, with their, call, with their car, with their knowledge, with their body type, with their eating habits, you name it. People aren't content typically with where they are, what they have, and sometimes even who they are. And the ironic thing is, is that we should be, on paper, we should be the happiest people in the entire world. By the way, right now I'm not just talking about Christians. I'm talking about like Americans in 2022, which is all of us, because we're all in America and we're all in 2022, unless you're time traveling, which would be another weird thing. But anyway, I, uh, right now, in this world, in America in 2022, we should be on paper the happiest people in the world. Why? Think about this. The entertainment that we have is almost infinite and endless. We have shows and movies and sports and games and just endless entertainment. We have connectedness through social media. You can now get in contact with somebody you haven't seen in 20 years. You can be in contact with somebody on the other side of the planet. We have self-help resources coming out of our ears. We don't have time to get into the statistics, but if you just look up later self-help resource industry, the amount that it's increased from 2013 to now is insane. There are so many self-help resources out there. And we have money. We are the richest people to have ever walked the face of the earth. And on top of that, we have unlimited information and knowledge and resources on our phones. All of these things should make us the most content people, the happiest people on the earth, but newsflash, if you look around, if you look at news titles, and if you look at your own heart, we're not, right? 
Despite all the endless entertainment we have, we're more bored and restless than ever before. Some of us are the most, some of the people today are the most lonely and isolated people in the entire world, despite the connectedness through social media. We find that some people are, are, are helpless and can't seem to fix themselves despite all the self-help resources that we have. Sometimes we are the most, uh, Americans are the most selfish and greedy people with their money despite having all, all the money and being some of the wealthiest people in the world. And frankly, the illiteracy rates in America are increasing despite all of our knowledge and information and resources that we have in, in, in the world. And the statistics are in the depression rates, the anxiety rates, and the suicide rates are at an all-time high in America. Yet, we seem to have everything. Now, that's a pretty bleak portrait of our culture and of our world, that we seem to have everything, and yet we are, we are craving more. But as I was painting a picture of the world, and as I was looking at this picture of our culture and of the world itself, I wonder how many of you, like me, resonated with some of those feelings. How many of you related to one or more of those feelings of discontentment? I know I have in my life multiple times. Maybe some of you are feeling discontent in your job. Well, I just want a different job and then things will be, well, maybe some of you are feeling discontent with your salary, feeling discontent with your stuff. You want more, you need more. Feeling discontent and so restless that you try to escape on your phone for 30 minutes, but then when you come back to reality, you're more restless and more on edge than before and so it's just this endless cycle. Maybe some of the discontentment crisis isn't just true of our world, maybe it's also true of our hearts as well. And as a Christian, when we have that discontentment in our hearts, the world, the flesh, and the devil, what they do is they want to constantly keep happiness and contentment just outside our reach, right? Because then, then you get into the, the when-then cycle of life. Well, when I have that, then I'll be satisfied. Well, when I have that thing, then I won't be stressed out as much. When I have just a little more cushion in my bank account, then I'll be, I'll be satisfied. When I get that girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse, then I'll be happy. When I finish this, this uh, self-help book and on discipline and organization and inner peace, then I'll be finally content with myself. When I get a different situation, a different location, a different job, a different friends, when I get new stuff on Amazon, then I'll finally be happy. As a Christian, what does that mean we're ultimately saying? What we're ultimately saying is, God, you're not enough for me. When we adopt the worldview that to have more is to be more, we are saying, God, you're not enough. And I don't think any of us want to say that. Do you want to say that? Do you want to constantly be living your life reaching for something that's just outside your reach? No. None of us want to do that. We all want contentment. We all want happiness. We all want satisfaction. So the question then is, how do we get from God, you're not enough, constantly wanting more, constantly needing more, constantly being in this perpetual cycle of more and more and more, to a place where we can say, God, if you took everything from me, I would still be content. If I didn't have any idea where my next paycheck was coming from, I'd still be content. If I lost everything in a day, everything, I'd still be content. How do we get from, God, you're not enough, I need more, to, God, if you took everything, I'd be content. Well, one of the, one of the ways we do that is by looking at people who can say, in anything, I'm content. 
and the scripture that we just heard from Jim, Paul says exactly that. In Philippians 4, Paul talks about the secret to contentment. Paul is tapping into what every single human being longs for. I want to know the secret to contentment. How, a, how do I become happy? In Philippians 4, he, he, uh, he talks about this. So I'm going to start, we're going to start in verse 10. Uh, actually, I'm going to start in verse 9 and read it, kind of like an on-ramp from last week. And we're going to start in verse 10 and we're going to go through verse 20. So follow along with me in Philippians 4, verse 9. Paul is talking to <coughs> the Philippians here. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but you lacked the opportunity to show it. Okay, if you remember, Paul's in prison at this point. He's later on in his life, he's in prison, and the Philippians heard that he was in prison in Rome, and it's pretty far away, and they, say, they sent him a gift with a guy named Epaphroditus. So they sent him a care package, right? And they said, hey, here you go, Paul. We know you're in prison, and if you don't get food given to you, then you're gonna starve to death. So he, he received this gift from the Philippians, and now after he's been uh, talking in Philippians 1 through 3 about Christ and about who he is, he's kind of getting to more practical matters. He's like, hey, I rejoiced greatly because you gave me a gift, and then he says this phrase, you lack the opportunity to show it. And at first it might sound like Paul's like kind of being rude, like, hey, you know, you should have given me this gift earlier, but that's not the case. Uh, theologians and scholars think that the Philippians were either being persecuted so they couldn't give a gift to Paul or they were broke, they were poor. Because if you became a Christian, odds are you lost your job. So they didn't have an opportunity to give Paul a gift. So finally, once they got an opportunity, they heard that Paul was in prison, that he needed help. So they sent Epaphroditus with this gift, and Paul gets it, and it says that he rejoiced greatly. He was super, super, super happy. Um, He goes on, verse 11. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Verse 12. I know how to make do with a little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. In in, in these verses, verse 11 and 12, Paul talks about why he actually didn't really need the gift that he gave him. They just sent a gift to him, and he says, hey, I didn't actually need it, right? And then he goes on. He says that he's learned to be content. Now, what does contentment mean? Everybody's looking for it. Seemingly nobody has it. What does contentment mean? mean this word that he uses right there in verse uh, 11 look again at verse 11 for i have learned to be content it's actually a word in that culture used by a group of philosophers known as stoics known as stoicism there's a philosophy known as stoicism we actually use this word today maybe you describe somebody like oh he's just a very stoic individual right what it means is that they're kind of like uh unemotional, kind of detached a little bit, right? They're just like a very stoic individual. That comes from this philosophy known as Stoicism. What Stoics believed, they were, they were in this first century Greco-Roman world, what Stoics believed is they, that they believed that you can become content by being detached from any emotion or any circumstances in life. So they, they said that uh, uh, contentment is an inward state that's actually unaffected by circumstances. So for a Stoic, All you have to do to learn the secret to contentment, which they use that phrase, the secret to contentment, all you have to do is just say, well, you know, I'm not going to be really elated when things go well, and I'm not going to be really down when things go bad. I'm just going to be detached from external circumstances, and they have a self-sufficiency based on just, you know, thinking 
right? Like, well, if I just put my mind to it, then I won't be affected. And therefore, you can't rejoice, but you also can't be sad. Now, this might sound foreign, you know, a philosophy in the first century might sound foreign and unrelatable, but it is actually very relatable. How? Have you ever heard the phrase or said yourself, I know I have, so this isn't coming out of condemnation, it's coming out of repentance. Have you ever said or heard the phrase, you know, I'm just going to set my expectations really low in life so that I won't be disappointed if life doesn't go how I want it to go. I'm just going to remove myself from any expectations, any emotions, so that I won't be affected by external circumstances. You know, I'm not going to really want anything in life because if I want something in life, that means I'm risking getting hurt by not getting it, so therefore I just won't want it. You know what that is? Modern-day stoicism. You know what that's not? Biblical. That is saying, I am able to face everything in life, I'm able to do everything in life if I just remove myself from life. That doesn't seem to be what Paul is saying. Now, at this point in Paul's text, it kind of sounds very, very stoic, right? He's like, I'm able to do anything. If I have a lot, I'm fine. If I have a little bit, I'm fine. If I'm hungry, I'm fine. If I'm well-fed, I'm fine. As stoic, scholars agree, as stoic could have written verse 11 and verse 12. Verse 11 and verse 12, when Paul is saying, I'm sufficient, a stoic could have written that. Like, this is what I'm able to do. I'm able to do this by myself. And anything, I've learned the secret to contentment. But he doesn't end there, right? This is, this is where, verse 13 is where Paul, like, changes the scripts. He says, I am able to do, look at verse 13. I am able to do all things, period. Now, if we were to stop there, copy and paste so stoicism. Hey, I'm just detached from life. I have this self-sufficiency in my inner being, in my inner man, in my inner woman. I can do everything on my own. Don't need anybody. But he doesn't say that. Look at verse 13 again. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. What is Paul claiming here? Paul is claiming that f- true freedom and independence actually requires dependence on a person right? What does our world say? True freedom and independence is finding freedom and independence from everybody and everything. What is Paul saying? True freedom and independence is found in getting, getting rid of your own idea of freedom and independence and, and sacrificing all and being dependent on Christ himself. Now, does this sound upside down? Right? How, how do you get independence from things? You become dependent on Christ. How do you get freedom? You become a slave to Christ. How do you get life? You die in Christ. What has this letter been about the entire time? The way up is down. When you say yes to Jesus as your Lord, you are saying yes to an upside down kingdom that is foolish in the world's eyes. We live in a modern day stoicism where everybody says, just do more and climb the ladder and go up and to the right. Be self-sufficient so you don't have to ask for help. Be self-sufficient so that you don't need anything. And don't set your expectations too high because if life doesn't go how you plan, then you'll be really sad. And life never goes how you plan, so you're always sad. So just don't, just don't be a, a, a normal human being. That's what the world says. And what is Paul saying here? The way up is down. If you want to experience the, the greatest joy in the world, if you want to experience true contentment and true happiness, it is not by saying, I'm going to do all things in myself. I'm going to be self-sufficient on my own. It is saying, I am going to give up my life. I am going to empty myself 
I am going to humble myself. I am going to be a slave of Jesus. How did Paul start this whole letter? Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ. What did Jesus become? He became the form of a servant, the form of a slave. If we want to experience true life and true contentment, it comes by saying, I am able to face everything because of Jesus who lives in me. Now, this verse, if you know, verse, uh, verse 13, is, you know, poster child for taking verses out of context, right? I went to a Lutheran high school, and our soccer team motto was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which was ironic because we were a pretty bad soccer team, so we would lose all the time. Uh, so what does this not mean? This does not mean that you get this like Superman power and ability through Christ who strengthens you. This does not mean that you're going to be able to win, you know, your sports team is going to be able to win because you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This does not even mean I can do all things because what that implies is that Jesus is this genie in a bottle that you just be like, oh, well, you know, Christ is in me and he strengthens me. So, you know, rub the lamp and then the genie comes out and he grants my every wish and now I'm content. No, not at all. A better way to think about this, it, in context, what is Paul saying? Paul said he just, he listed a lot of things that he experienced. He experienced a lot. He experienced a little. He experienced hunger. He experienced uh, being filled. He experienced, you know what I'm saying? He's, he experienced all these things, and then he ends, and he says, I'm able to, to do all those things because Christ strengthens me. So in reality, it's not I'm able to, like, just do everything and and, and, you know, if I want to bench press a million pounds, I can do that. No, it's saying I'm able to face everything in life through him who strengthens me. It's I'm able to, to approach life in such a way that no matter what happens, I'm content because Christ strengthens me. I am able to face everything in life through Christ who strengthens me. If I have a little bit, I can face that because Christ lives in me and I've given up myself for him. If I get a lot, I can face that because Christ lives in me and I've given up everything because of him. Is that true of you? Are you able to face everything in life with a stable contentment? Are you able to get everything that you've ever wanted and remain content? Are you able to lose everything that you've ever had and remain content. Let's keep going. Verse 14. Still, Paul says, you did well by partnering with me in my hardships. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared in the giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. So Paul is encouraging the Philippians about the gifts, right? Paul, uh, the Philippians gave Paul a gift, and he's now saying, hey, th thank you, for, I'm rejoicing in the Lord because of the gift. I didn't need the gift, but it's a good thing that you gave the gift, but again, I didn't need it. Do you kind of hear this, like, qualifying that Paul does? It's like he's going back and forth. It's like, thank you for the gift, but I didn't need it, but, I mean, it was a really good thing that you still gave the gift, and I'm looking for the profit that it increases to your account. The reason that Paul is kind of, Paul never explicitly says thank you is because in this uh, world, in first century Greco-Roman culture, th there was a, um, a, st a stereotype, there was a, um, uh, a culture, I guess, a stereotype between people who gave gifts and people who received gifts. So if somebody gave a gift and then that person received a gift and said, thank you, what they were doing in an honor-shame culture is actually they were acknowledging that the giver 
uh, was, was higher up in their status and that they were in debt to the giver. And so then they had to give a gift back. It was a reciprocal gift giving. So you would always want to try to, it's literally a one-up thing. Like you ever go to a, a, a dinner or something and it's like that one-up game where it's like, oh, well, that's nothing because I, that's what gift giving was, right? If somebody gave you a gift, you said thank you. You were in debt to them until you repaid the gift back in advance and like in bigger gift and then it kept going up and up and up until somebody would just win and then they would forever be an authority over this person. Now, if you remember, Paul didn't like taking money from churches. He talked about this in Corinthians. He talked about this in Galatia because if he took money from a church, that means he's kind of like their employee and he doesn't want to be their employee. He doesn't want to do things that they tell them, not because he's, you know, uh, doesn't like authority, but because he wants the gospel to spread regardless of if he's being um, paid or not. So he only takes money from churches that are way far away. So he doesn't say thank you and he, 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 uh, he receives the gift, but then he says, I don't actually receive the gift. I don't want the gift, but I see that you giving me the gift, uh, this care package of, you know, food and blankets, is actually a representation of you giving a gift to God. So he, he's in a very unique situation because he would be inferior to them and in debt to them if he said thank you. So he defines the gift, but he, he recognizes it, that it's not actually a gift to Paul, it's a gift to the Lord. And look at how he comments on the gift. This is funny, verse 18. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. And then look what he says the gift was. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He did not say the gift was gift that he actually received. Hey, thank you for the food. I received everything in a full and I'm abundant. Thanks for the food, for the blankets, for the parchment, whatever. He says, thank you for the gift. Here's what you gave. You gave a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now, if the Philippians gave a gift to God, Paul says the Philippians gave a gift to God, then who is the one that's going to receive the gift? And then therefore, who is going to be the one that's going to give a gift back? God. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply all your needs according to, I love that phrase, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Look at what it does not say. It does not say God will supply all of your wants. What are the Philippians experiencing right now? Probably poverty, maybe a little bit of persecution. What would they want? More money and less persecution. But what do they need? Clearly, Paul doesn't think they need those things because God is going to supply their needs. This is a simple, this might be a simple concept, but we have been trained to forge and merge, uh, fuse, that's what I was looking for, to fuse and merge the word need and the word want. We use them interchangeably. Well, I just, I need a new pair of jeans. I need a new pair of shoes. Well, I just, I, I uh, need the new upgrade on my phone. Right? What about more serious needs? Well, I just need, I just need a spouse. I just need a friend. I just need more money in my bank account. I just need, you fill in the blank. The way we say need and want has actually ruined 
what we actually, the idea of what we actually need. If you think about what you actually need, you don't need a whole lot. And God is going to supply your needs. Now, a prosperity gospel would say God will supply all your needs, therefore you can get all the money and you can get the good job and you can get, but those are wants. Those are desires. Those aren't needs. God is going to supply your needs. And how is he going to do it? Because God is rich. You ever think about that? God is rich. According to his riches in glory in Christ, God will supply everything you, you need in this life. And here's what Paul is ultimately saying. If you don't have it, you don't need it. In life, if you don't have something, therefore, you do not need it. Why? Because God supplies all our needs. So if you don't have that thing that you need, guess what? You don't need it. If you don't have what you really, really want and desire, guess what? You don't need it. A professor of mine would say, everything that really matters in life is already taken care of. If you don't have it, you don't need it. Well, I need this and then. Well, when I get this thing that I need, then. If you don't have, Paul is saying here, if you do not have it, you do not need it. Now, what I'm not saying is that you should just, you know, not have any desire for anything, right? Desire is a good thing. We just read a verse in the Psalms that says, uh, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. People desire that, right? The Psalm says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When our hearts are tuned to Christ, when we recognize this upside down kingdom that we're now living in, that the way up is down, our desires naturally change. What we want and what we need naturally change because we realize that we only need one thing in life. Right? Earlier Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He only needs one thing in life. Jesus says himself, seek first the kingdom of God and then what? All of these things will be added unto you. Paul is saying that when you truly release your grip from life, when you truly recognize that everything you could ever want or need in life is already given to you, then you have learned the secret to contentment. One theologian says that God is the happiest person in the universe. Do you picture God that way? Do you picture your life like that in God? When we release the grip from our lives, when we follow Jesus' pattern of emptying ourselves, of humbling ourselves, and being obedient, then everything we need is already given to us in Christ. Paul recognizes that clearly, and he has an outburst of joy in verse 20. It's like he's writing, and then all of a sudden in verse 20, he just starts praising the Lord. Now, to our God and Father, be glory, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you feel the tension in life? I want these things, and I know that desires are a good thing, but I know they're not the ultimate thing because I know I need Christ. But also, that kind of sounds impractical, because like, well, yeah, like I need Christ, but also like I kind of need and want these things as well. Do you feel that tension? Well, I, I know that I'm supposed to desire things, because to desire things is, to, is wor- it, what is it? It's worship, right? We desire what we work, or we worship what we desire. And so I want to desire things, but ultimately I want them to change to Christ. So how does that, wh- what does that look like? How can I say, like, like Paul, I've learned the secret to being content? A few thoughts on this. Um, a few, a few practices on this. First of all, 
maybe this week, keep a mental check of how many times you say the word need and how many times you say the word want. I did this for the last couple weeks, and it was brutal. I said the word need way more than I actually need the things that I said I needed. Now, you might be like, oh, well, that's semantics. Yeah, but it does something to us. When we keep saying, I need this, I need this, I need this, what do we need? We need Christ. That's it, period. So maybe take a mental checklist of how many times you say the word need and how many times you say the word want. But then also, notice the theme, one of the themes in Philippians. Paul keeps saying what? I rejoiced. I rejoiced. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Rejoicing isn't just a posture of the heart. It's actually something that we can do. Showing gratitude is actually saying with your mouth, Lord, I'm thankful for. So maybe this week, if you, if you feel like you don't know the secret to contentment and you can't get content and you feel like it's just actually impossible, start audibly saying, Lord, thank you for, and then fill in the blank. Start actually saying, God, I'm grateful for. Because then we'll be able to recognize and realize that our, our, what we have been given in Christ through his death on the cross is more than we could ever ask or imagine. More than you can imagine. Imagine something right now. It's more than that. It's different than that. But most importantly, if, you, if you're sitting here and you think that contentment is something that is impossible, and it's not going to happen. I think that the posture that I've taken in the past, when I've felt that and been there, is just one of, of expectant waiting for God. It's hard to be content. And yet, when, if, we, if we sit with our hands open and say, Lord, I, I'm really not content in this situation right now. I wish I was in a different situation, but I also know that you've given me everything that I need. If you're in that situation, ask the Lord for contentment. Ask the Lord to fill you with himself. Ask the Lord to change your desires, to desire him. What did we talk about earlier? God, fill me with yourself. The pattern of Philippians is a self-emptying so that we can be filled with him. And maybe you've never done that at all before, ever. And you've, you, this idea of, of being content is something that is absolutely outside of anything that you've ever thought or imagined. It might be that you've never truly experienced what we talked about a few weeks ago, the expulsive power of a new affection. You've never actually experienced God as giving you the desires of your heart. You've never been happy in God. If that's you, the answer is very simple. And it's just look to the cross. Where is love displayed most? The cross. Why? Because Jesus, being God, in an act of radical abandon, said, I love my creation, my people, my image so much, and they've ruined their lives completely. And they take matters into their own hands, and they constantly are greedy with everything that they have, but I'm going to offer myself up as a sacrifice for them. And I'm going to die for them. Greater love is none than that. That he would lay down his life for you and for me. 
And so if you're thinking, I've never experienced contentment or happiness in God, the idea just sounds weird, then look to the cross and live. That's the message of the gospel. Look to the cross and live. And if you have looked to the cross and lived before, and you have experienced the happiness and the contentment found in God, but right now you're not feeling it, look to the cross and live. Have an expectant waiting for Jesus to move in you. And if you're overflowing right now and you're like, I'm the happiest being and uh, I'm the happiest person on the planet because I know that Christ is in me and that's the hope of glory, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. And look for people who aren't feeling that and encourage them. That's why it's called the body. That's why we do this. So as we end with the, the cross, uh, I, there's no better um, way to continue in worship than by reflecting on the cross, cross and actually partaking in the cross. And that's exactly what communion is. Communion is the reminder weekly that we have everything we need in Christ. We have everything we need in Christ. So I'm gonna pray and let us sit in this. And then after I'm done praying, we'll come up and partake of communion together. Father, I ask that you would give us the power to be able to face everything in life because you strengthen us. God, our minds and our lives and our world tell us that we have to be self-sufficient, that we have to do everything on our own, that we just have to get more and more and more in order to be happy and to be content. But God, I just pray against those lies right now. God, I myself want to be, and I want for every person in this room to be able to say and to be able to live, Lord, if you took everything from me, I would still love you. God, make that the cry of our hearts. Allow us to follow Paul and to imitate Paul and in, in him saying, I've learned the secret to being content. Father, go with us and go before us this week as we recognize areas where maybe we haven't been content, we haven't shown gratitude. We say need more than we need to, more than we want to. But Lord, I pray that you would give us a spirit of humility and you would give us a spirit of grace. Father, I ask that you would forgive us for the times that we have tried to take matters into our own hands. And I ask that you would release us from that sin so that we can experience the joy and the pleasures and the delight and the happiness and the contentment that comes from you. As we reflect on the cross, Lord, I pray that you would keep the cross at the front of our minds, that we might recognize that the way up is actually down, that in order to gain life, we have to lose it. And in order to be completely free, we actually become dependent upon you. We pray all this in your son's name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Thank you.